Awesome. This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And it says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees. He began imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. So his servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants came and saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, and he said to him, You Wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray this morning. God, we come to you, and we are coming to you from multiple places. Some of us are here in the room this morning. Some of us are traveling. Some of us are sitting at home watching online right now. And God, we know you are alive and present. Your Holy Spirit is within each and every one of us, and you are speaking to us. God, I pray that we are just able to hear you that we open up our eyes to see you, that we open up our ears to hear you speak to us this morning. God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to speak into our life, what you want to tell us about yourself and how we should respond. God, we are a community that is built under Jesus because of what he has done for us. And I pray that we can just be that loving community, that fellowship that loves, that shows grace, that is forgiving, that you have called us to be in God this morning. Help us to set aside the distractions. Help us to focus on you, to hear from you this morning. And God, let it be you that is speaking to each and every one of us. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So one morning when I was back in college, it was my second semester of school at this point, and I remember me and my roommate, we were, we were chilling in bed. It was probably 9, 10 o'clock at this moment and doing what normal college kids do. We're still chilling in bed until we have class at 11 at this moment, and we begin to hear what sounds like slamming of doors next to us. Then again, it was probably just them opening and closing the doors because at our college, like if I'm going to be real, 
our doors were pretty jankety. They were just straight wood and cement. And so no matter how like quiet you try to close that thing, it was going to slam no matter what. And so we're freaking out in this moment because it's like, dude, this is weird. Nobody lives in that room, and yet we can hear people going in and out of that room. What is going on? So a couple days in the semester, like in this moment, we open up our door, peeking outside, wondering what in the world we're going to see in this moment. Uh, maybe a ghost is going to come out after us. I don't know. But what we see is our new roommate, our new next-door neighbor. And he began to introduce himself. We got to know him a little bit. We helped him carry in some of his boxes from his car, and we got him into his room, and he got all set up, and he was unpacking. So we go back to our room and lay in bed because we got another hour till class and everything. And while we're laying there, I was like, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious who this guy is and everything. So I did what probably most people do, any sane person. I began an FBI investigation of his social media to figure out who in the world this guy is. I went to his Facebook, his Instagram, his Twitter. And it was in the midst of going through these that there was like this light bulb that clicked in my head. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I know this guy. In this moment, I'm going through his Facebook, and I'm realizing, dude, you're, you're from Louisville. I'm from Louisville. We went to the same school, just not at different times. I missed you by about two years, and I began to kind of see, like, we had 75 to 100 Facebook friends in common. I'm like, what is going on here? I Get this. I went to a school with only 500 people on campus, so the odds of meeting someone there that I already knew was rather small because... Let's just be real. We were a small Bible college. And while I was there, it was in this moment that I remembered like why I knew this guy. Back when I was a junior in high school, I had a friend who wanted to set me up with a girl. And she was describing her and going on in this mo big, long monologue, telling me all these traits and things about her. Um, just a little side note, it was not Hannah. I did not meet her until college. So I know Hannah's booing from the back of the room. Um, I... Nothing ever progressed, but I remember her telling me all about this, this girl. And she got all the way through this list and then gets to the end and goes, well, like, there's something you should know. She kind of put an asterisk on it and said, she just got out of a really bad relationship. And then she describes what the guy did, what her did, and the whole situation that's going on here. And I'm like, ugh, that's not fun. And it's in this moment that I'm sitting in my college room looking at his Facebook going, oh, my gosh, that's him. And it's just this funny moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm telling my roommate about this. I'm telling him this story. And I'm like, yeah, this, this guy might not be the best news. I don't necessarily know why he's here. Like, this is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what he's about. And yet he's here in Bible college. He's here at Kentucky Christian University going through ministry classes and all this stuff. And I remember sitting there and I was keeping this guy kind of at arm's reach throughout the week because I knew what he was about, I knew what he's done, and I didn't want him to like engage in my circle because I didn't want that to rub off on me because, like, I, dude, you, you've done that. I, I'm not about that kind of thing. I want to progress in my relationship with Jesus. We keep them at arm's distance, right? So when I say we are a small school, it's so small that my luck is we go out to dinner later that week. We go to one of my favorite places. We go to Johnny's Pizza, and this place is bomb. It is a short walk from campus. I love the pizza there. My wife is not the biggest fan, but this was before she showed up, so I got to enjoy this sweet crust pizza that was fantastic. And we're there, and there's about seven of us, and my luck, one of the guys who is going with us, who is in our friend circle, is cousins with my new neighbor. 
So, of course, he gets brought along because he doesn't know too many people. He's trying to meet some people and get connected here. And so we go, and there's seven of us, and there's two couples. So they sit in front of each other. And then it's me and my roommate and the new guy. And so we're sitting there, and we're like, ugh, we have to get through dinner. Um, just do small talk, get through this conversation. You know, you eat a slice of pizza, and you go, ah, how's the weather? And, you know, you just try, to, just try to get through it. Don't laugh at me, Hannah. And so we're getting through this conversation, but the longer and longer that we're talking together, the more and more me and him begin to laugh. The more and more we begin to joke around, and I remember it was the walk back to campus afterwards that we begin to have, it was just this moment where like this friendship connected, and we're laughing and we're joking. We're going, dude, like you went to that in Louisville? Yeah, I went to that too. You know that person? I know that person. We went to school at the same place, and we begin having this fun moment where we're just joking around, and we're laughing in this moment. And if you had told me the first day that I met this dude that he would become to be one of my best friends, that he would go on to be one of my groomsmen in my wedding, like it was nonsense to me because these are the type of people that society tells us to keep at a distance. You know, these are the type of people that we keep at arm's reach, that we don't pull around us. Rather, we cut them off and we leave them on the outskirts and we set them to the side. I remember um, two nights ago, me and Hannah were driving home from dinner. And it was in the midst of this drive. We're, we're going along. It's night out. We just have some music playing. And she's scrolling on Twitter. And she just starts laughing. And I'm like, Hannah, where are you laughing at? And she reads me this, this tweet. And it says, you know you're from Kentucky when? One wrong name and I ain't coming. Basically saying that if the person that I don't like is going to be there, that person that I've been trying to keep at arm's reach, that person in the friend group, you can count me out. I'll show up next time when they're not there. I don't really want to be around them. And I mean, if we look around in our culture right now, we're seeing so many different viewpoints perspectives, opinions, background story that has led to nothing but division. And I don't know if it's just me being young, growing up and now realizing, oh my gosh, our world is a little divided, or if it's always been like this, but it just feels like it's ever more people are against and isolating themselves and cutting themselves off from other relationships. One wrong tweet, one wrong comment, one wrong action, you're written off for good, and there's not a pretty label that's put along with it. And it's coming from people all across the board. It even happens in the church family. And at this point, I think we've all heard of this idea of cancel culture, where someone does something and you cut them off completely, you put them behind you, you leave them and you say, you're done, and you start going. But how do we as a church function in the midst of a society like that? where we say we are a community under God's family that loves and cares for one another. When our society is so divided, how do we be a community that loves and cares and is united in the midst of that? Last week, we read a parable. We read a parable about a sower who goes out to sow a seed in the different uh, soils that is around. And we begin to see in the midst of that, that if we truly begin to hear from God, that if we hear from him, the seed begins to get planted in our life that there is soil in which that seed can grow in, and that seed will become fruitful, and it will grow. And in the midst of all these other soils, there are weeds, there are rocks, there are hard surfaces that prevent us from being able to hear God. But what we hear from God in the midst of this is that no one is too far gone. There's no weed too deep that God can't rip up or rock that he can't throw out or ground that he can't turn up. God can work and save and redeem in the midst of whatever is going on. And this week, we're going to look at another parable. 
And we're going to see another trait of who God is and how the church is to respond because of it and in spite of it. And we see in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. See, in Jewish culture, it was a custom for them that it was, okay, like, you were doing good if you forgave someone three times. Like, you forgive someone three times, and that's sufficient to show a forgiving spirit. But what we see here is Peter's trying to up the game, right? He's trying to take it to the next level. He's trying to put the cherry on top of the cup, uh, on top of the cupcake in this moment. He's doubling it and adding one. He's saying, listen, what if I forgive them seven times, Jesus? And Jesus goes, no. He goes, how about 77? And Jesus isn't saying that to give him a number of like a tally list of like, literally like have a, a notebook that you pull out and tally each time to get up to 77 and then 77 and you can cut them off and leave them behind. No, what Jesus is trying to do here is show them that to be a true disciple and true disciples of Jesus, they forgive without keeping count. That there is no amount of tallies that limit our forgiveness for someone. And this is where Jesus picks up his parable. In verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment was to be made. See, in the New Testament time, a talent was a form of, of money. It wasn't like this official coin in which they had. They didn't have talents that they were passing around, but it was a measurement of how many coins in which you had. It's kind of this in the head, like measurement of how much wealth in which you have. And a talent was equivalent to around 20 years wage for them. So let's, let's do a little bit of math this morning. I know it's early. We got our coffee. Yeah, you got your coffee. And so imagine this, you make 30,000 a year over 20 years. Anybody? 20, huh? 600? Yeah. $600,000 over 20 years is what you see here. But understand, that's one talent. That's one talent in this moment. And he said 10,000 talents is what this guy owed. This guy owed an, an immeasurable and incalculable amount of money. There was so much owed in this moment that this guy would never be able to pay it off. No matter what he did, there was no amount of work in which he could do to earn all this because a, like a living wage would barely even scratch the surface of what is owed here. And a common practice in this ancient world was the selling of him, his wife, his children, all the possessions in which he had to put towards the debt in which he owed if someone could not pay it. And this is where we get to verse 26. And this guy is defeated. And, he, and it says, so the servant fell on his knees. And he began to implore. And he said, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant, he released him. And he forgave him of the debt. See, this guy fell. And he's begging. He knows he's never going to be able to reach that amount of money. But he's, he's thinking in his head of how he can do it. He's like, what if I do this? If I do that, maybe I could be able to pay it off at some point. And he goes, no, there's no way I'll ever be able to. He's like, have patience and pity on me. And the master does. And the forgiveness that we see in this master is directly correlated to what Jesus wants us to see about God. That we have built up and racked up such a massive debt because of our sin. 
because of our brokenness, that we are corrupt and broken people, that we are creating the image of God and we have turned and walked way far away from that, if we're going to be honest. And each one of us have racked up a debt in our life that we could never pay because the penalty of sin is death. And we continue to rack that up every day because we are everyday people and we are broken. And although Jesus can work in our life and begin to create some fruitfulness in us, we still stumble and fall. And there's going to be moments where we are just stumbling and we are just racking up that debt. But what we are reminded here is that God is patient with us, that God has mercy on you. And he withholds a righteous judgment. God could easily cast judgment on the debt in which we owe. But what we see through Jesus is this gracious provision. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection shows us that to pay for the debt of sins and break the power of sin, Jesus went to the cross for each and every one of us to pay that massive debt. We don't have to do it ourselves because Jesus already has. He's done it for all the past, present, and future sins. We no longer have to be bound and held prisoner by sin and death because Jesus has conquered it. Jesus has defeated. He has overcome this insurmountable great debt we have built up, and Jesus stands above it. He is so immeasurably greater than it. It doesn't even compare. And we get to verse 28, and it says, But when that servant went out, he found out that one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he found him, and he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And so this servant, he fell down, and he pleaded with him, Have patience on me, and I will pay you. It sounds very familiar to what he said to the other master. And this man didn't owe him as much as he owed the other master. See, 100 denarii was about 20 weeks' wage. This, the other guy owed 20 years times 10,000. Like, it was so much than which he owed. There's such a small, large gap between this. And yet he is going out and saying, you owe me this. And we finish the story. And it says in verse 30, he refused and went and put the guy in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him. And he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You begged me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, in this moment, the servant's unwillingness to forgive, even though the amount in which he had been forgiven is insurmountable, incalculable, we can't comprehend it. That even in the midst of that, we see his true character revealed, his true characteristics and priorities as he goes out and he shows that he hasn't had a transformed heart by the forgiveness in which his master has shown him. That he's not, he didn't reciprocate that. He didn't produce that in his own life. That the forgiveness he's been shown, he didn't reproduce that to the other one who was in need. See, a transformed heart will result in changed lives that offers the same mercy and forgiveness as has been received from God. See, when we encounter Jesus and we understand who he is and what he has done for us, when we truly identify who Jesus is, 
We begin to take on his characteristics and priorities and we begin to reproduce that in ourselves. When we, our heart begins to be changed and shaped by Jesus and the Holy Spirit that's alive and present and he begins pulling out some of the weeds and he begins helping us grow and be fruitful, we're going to begin to show love. We're going to begin to show patience and kindness and self-control and this forgiveness and grace in which we are called to. But in this moment, we see, we see a servant who has been given such grace and love and forgiveness, and he doesn't have a transformed heart, and he's not able to do that for someone else. He didn't reproduce what Jesus has given him. In this parable, it just reminds us that we're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all messed up in some way. But God, who is so much greater, who is so much mightier than anything we could ever do, that what Jesus did on the cross through his death in resurrection. He has overcome sin and death. And that insurmountable debt in which we owed, it's washed away. It's forgotten. It's long gone. Jesus has paid it. But we have to ask ourselves, in the midst of that, am, am I taking that on? And am I allowing my heart to be transformed by the love and grace of Jesus so that I can re reproduce that in my own life? So that when I come across someone who needs love, who needs grace, who needs forgiveness, that I'm able to do the same thing in which Jesus has done for me. Are we truly able to have open arms, to receive those who are broken, those who are hurt, to receive others in our lives, or do we begin to keep them at distance? Maybe not even just at arm's reach, but we put a 50-foot pole and we push them as far away as we can and we kind of hide them away and try to forget about them because of what they have done. But what we see here is that God is the opposite of that. God pursues and chases after us. He did that even when we were broken. When we were sinful, God pursued us. And we see that he has this relentless pursuit to adopt us and bring us back into the family and fellowship in which he is. He wants us to be part of the family. And for us to be able to make room for others, we have to first make room for God to transform our own heart for Jesus to work, for the Holy Spirit to rip out whatever needs ripped out and replace it with a seed that will be fruitful. See, to transform into the loving, the forgiving, the grace-filled, other-centered heart of Jesus. That's what we pursue. And I know we talked last week about this spiritual soil in which we all have, and that no matter how much work we put into that garden, I alone cannot achieve perfection. I alone cannot pay the debt in which I owe. There is no amount of work rolling up my sleeves, getting down and dirty that I can do to achieve this. It's only done by the gracious act of Jesus. And we have to understand that it's going to come back. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be things that pop up in our life that's going to want to stumble us. There's going to, for some reason, weeds are just going to continue to come back into our lives and they're going to try and plant and dig deep and try to outgrow the seed of God that is in our life. There's going to be rocks that somehow just end up there. Soil is going to become hard. And especially when we go out in a broken world and we're everyday people everywhere, we're encountering people who are broken too, who have weeds of their own who have brokenness of themselves, who have sin in their lives. And it's not their fault, and that shouldn't deter us from going after those people. Because when we go out to our community, they need Jesus' love, his transforming and redeeming love and grace as much as we do. That's why at Generations we believe in story over sin. We want to cultivate lasting relationships that discover how Jesus shapes our identity, our past, our future, 
rather than being defined by others and ourselves. We don't want to be identified by what we have done, who we are, what other people say. Rather, we are identified by Jesus. Our identity is found in Him and not in the things in which we do in this world. And God has called us love. He has called us children. He has called us family. He has called us holy. He cares for us. He wants us to be in relationship and fellowship with Him, and He invites us in no matter how far we turn and run the other direction. But here at Generations, we want to be that community. We want to be that community because we understand that what it means to be a part of God's family, and let's just be real, I have some family watching this morning. I love you guys, but there's times where my family can get under my skin. That's just a whole part of being everyday people. When you're interacting with others, people are going to annoy you. People are going to get under your skin. There's going to be friction because we are broken people. And I'm going to do things unintentionally that's going to hurt others. And sometimes I accidentally do it intentionally. And it's like, man, like, I don't want to do that, but I did it. And that's how I reacted. And it's in those moments that we understand that family and community understands that that's going to happen because we are in a messy and broken world. And it's not an excuse for us to continue to do it, but it's acknowledging that it will happen. And it's how we respond in these moments that will determine the culture of generations. And if we have a toxic, unforgiving culture, then we will kill our vision to expand God's family. See, Jesus is forgiveness. And when we are transformed by him, we are able to forgive and make what was wrong right. And I understand that there are some things that have happened in this world that are truly terrible and forgiveness isn't easy. And I don't want to downplay that. I don't want to over, overlap that. I don't want to skip past it because forgiveness doesn't always happen overnight. There's things that people have to wrestle with for a while and it's sad and it stinks. And I hate that for people. But here are generations, what we want people to understand is that they are not alone in that. That we want to be a community that supports, that cares, that works together to go through that. And Kyle, a couple months ago, put out a kind of a primer of forgiveness. So if you want to um, go watch that. If you're struggling with some forgiveness or even where to start, I'd encourage you to go watch that and then reach out if you want to have a conversation. If you need someone to just come alongside you, to pray alongside you, to just listen and be present as you work through this of what it looks like to forgive, to show grace, and to be loving when it is tough. Because following Jesus, as Charles says all the time, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. It's not going to happen overnight. I'm not going to be the perfect follower of Jesus in the next moment. Rather, it's a lifelong journey that we do together as a family. See, we don't bring the image of God to other people. Rather, we identify the image of God in others. We must believe that they are made in God's image for us to be able to make room for them. Otherwise, it's going to be limited. So if you go into your community, if you go about your week this week, and you have the mindset that people are broken, that people are jerks, people are just outright bad and wrong, then man, that's going to affect how you interact with them, how you respond, how you talk, how you care for them, how you interact. You're going to continue to keep them at arm's distance because you don't want to get hurt. And I understand that. But what we see about Jesus in here is that he tells us that everyone is made in his image and that they are invited in out of isolation. And so when we begin to have that mindset, we're able to love in a different way. We're able to respond in a grace-filled manner. We're able to see a need and go, hey, how can I help you with this? We're able to come together as a family, as a community, and to care for one another. See, our focus is to be faithful in the way of Jesus. And as we do that, 
and God will be fruitful. See, it's only God that produces growth. And as God has made room for us, we make room for others. We want to see God's family expand. And if you're new in, in here, if you're new in the room, if you're new online this morning, I just want to encourage you and let you know that there is room for you. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. Your story matters, and we want you to be a part of the community as we pursue God and we follow along in the mission in which he is doing here because God has gone before us. Half the time we're just trying to catch up, but we are following along with him, and God is guiding us to where he wants us to be, and we invite you in to find your place, to hear your story about how God is working and shaping your life. So as we go about this week, I want to ask, how can you make room for someone this week? And here's a couple of options for you. Uh, here's a couple of things that I try to work into my life. First one is maybe you just send a text message this week and you literally just ask someone, how are you doing? And then you have a conversation and you don't have an ulterior motive. It's not a, how are you doing? Can you help me do this? Can, can you do this and get this done for me? No, it's, it's a genuinely, I care about you. And I want to know how you're doing this week. How can I care for you? Or maybe it, you've been holding a grudge in your heart against someone for a little while and you kind of keep them at a distance and you kind of have them on the side. And maybe you just need to have a tough conversation this week where you just need to go to them and say, man, like I've been keeping you at a distance and I, I'm sorry, but this, this hurt me. And I want to keep Jesus at the center of this, his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. And I want the Holy Spirit to redeem this relationship. You need to have a tough conversation. Or maybe you just need to invite someone to get coffee and a meal and you do nothing but you sit there and say, hey, tell me your story. And you sit there and you listen and you are present and you see how God is working in their life. Because at Generation Church, we want to make our faith an everyday faith. And this week, I encourage you, make room for God to transform your heart so that you can begin to make room for others in your everyday life. Let's pray. God, we come to you. God, we know you are alive and present here and we glorify you. God, we celebrate that as a family, as a community that is brought together, God, you are at the center of it. And Jesus, you is because of your love, your grace, your forgiveness, that even in the midst of friction, even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of us getting under each other's skins, God, you are able to redeem us, rescue us, and allow us to be community and to understand that even though we are broken people, God, you've brought us together, that you are fellowship, you are community, you've called us to that, and God, one day we're going to be in the kingdom with you. We are going to be with you present in the moment. Everything is going to be perfect, that there's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain, and there's going to be, we're going to see that love and grace and forgiveness set out perfectly as Jesus has done it for us on the cross. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. It's transforming our hearts. It's breaking it down, allowing us to make room for others because if we don't see them the way in which you see them, God, our relationships, our community, our fellowship is going to be limited. God, give us your eyes. God, give us your ears to hear. God, work in our life. Jesus, we come to you. And we give it all to you. And we are so thankful for who you are and what you do. God, we just lay it before you. I pray you speak to our lives in our everyday and our everywhere. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.